Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. So, Leo Tolstoy once wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with his lot. He wanted more of everything. And one day, he received a novel offer. For a thousand rubles, he could buy all the land he could walk around in a day. The only catch in the deal was that he had to be back at his starting point by sundown. Early the next morning, he started out walking at a fast pace. By midday, he was very tired, but he kept going, covering more ground. Well into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him far from his starting point. And he quickened his pace, and as the sun began to sink low in the sky, he began to run, knowing that if he didn't make it back by sundown, the opportunity to become an even bigger landholder would be lost. And as the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line, Gasping for breath, his heart pounding, he called upon every bit of strength left in his body and staggered across the line just before the sun disappeared. He immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth. In a few minutes, he was dead. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave. It was not much over six feet long, and three feet wide. The title of Tolstoy's story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? So our scripture today is the only narrative in the gospel, in the gospels, where a person refuses a call to follow Jesus. This rich young man is a would-be disciple and an observant seeker after eternal life. For this, Jesus loved him and invites him to join his circle of those first called by doing as they did. He becomes sad since he cannot abandon his many possessions. And though there is biblical precedent for associating riches with God's blessings, we read much more in the Bible about the pervasive concern for the danger of wealth. The rich are often prone to feeling like they have no need of God, and greed can remove us far from the concern God wants us to have for the poor and for the earth itself. In the simplest terms, greed can keep us far from the kingdom of God. Now, the New Testament passages on wealth don't say that having it is a sin. Rather, they lead us to the conclusion that wealth can be spiritually debilitating. And that is where we need to be very careful. But since we are talking about finding virtue in our vices, 
we must also distinguish the vice of greed from the virtue of wanting wisely. So let's first take a look at greed and talk about what it is. Robin Meyer, whose book, The Virtue and Vice, defines greed as the inordinate love of money and material possessions and the compulsive behavior that is driven by the need to have more of both. He goes on to say that the truly greedy person is never content and is willing to sacrifice everything and everyone to acquire more. This person can scarcely enjoy what he has for thinking always of what he wants. It's hard to turn on the news and not hear about corporate America getting into trouble again and again. And the underlying reason is greed. Greed can indeed destroy nations. Think about the crisis that hit our country in 2008 and the Great Recession it precipitated. And it's not just greed in corporate America. Unbridled greed can ruin families. Gambling, you know, is fundamentally a greed problem. A parent who pursues wealth to the extreme may have no time for a spouse or the children. Relationships can be destroyed when people are used as rungs on a ladder to climb. Even the church has become tainted by greed and the pursuit of money. And that's why we have so many megachurches, which are often falsely informed by the prosperity uh, theology or, or what we call the prosperity gospel. These churches promise their flock that they will get rich if they just invite Jesus into their lives and then, of course, join the church and send in their tithes and their gifts. In 2020, one particular TV preacher had a net worth of 100 million. He lives in a 17,000 square foot mansion worth a few years ago at an estimated 10.5 million. To me, that seems obscene when the coronavirus pandemic alone at one point left millions of families without stable employment and more than 50 million people, including 17 million children, experiencing food insecurity. But really, how much of a, how many of us would would jump at the chance for that kind of wealth. Most of us admire wealth, you know, and is it any wonder that in this preacher's particular church, which proclaims the prosperity gospel, it has a weekly attendance of 52,000 people. Even in its heyday, this church did not approach that, I'm sure, and you were a big church. We Americans are so obsessed by celebrities and their wealth, sports stars, movie stars, and TV preachers. Maybe we even live a little vicariously through their conspicuous consumption. We live in a culture that glorifies wealth and encourages us to go after that. Some theologies have even distorted the gospel to accommodate our very human and often sinful desires. 
Yet, when we examine scripture carefully, we, th we see that wealth alone isn't the problem. Money is not bad in and of itself. It's the love of wealth, the obsession with that money, that's the problem. And that can happen so insidiously, so easily. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's not the money. I mean, we need money to live, after all, but the Christian, you see, must learn to want wisely and not be obsessed with greed. It's not wrong to want. Most of us have desire and ambition rightly planted within us. Desire and ambition enable us to survive in this world, after all. Desire and ambition motivate us to get up each morning and go out into the world and provide for ourselves and our families. But like all the other deadly sins we have been exploring um, often on the summer, temptation can cause our desires to get so woefully out of balance. And since we have talked about the vice of greed so far today, now let's turn to the virtue of wanting wisely, which, believe it or not, is the other side of the same coin. What does it mean to want wisely? I think much of that has to do with our intent and our stewardship. Robin Myers points out that a man who expands his business wisely, manages it well, and prospers enough to send his kids to college and retire in comfort, and that's not being greedy. Similarly, the mother who adds a nursery to her house to accommodate a new arrival is not being greedy, as the woman who adds to her house so that it will be bigger than her neighbor's house. The difference here is that wanting a house to compete with her neighbors is properly called greed, not to mention a form of idolatry, self-aggrandizement, and status-seeking. Wanting wisely is simply desiring to accommodate her growing family. Greed, Meyer says, is always out to prove something. Wanting wisely seeks to change something for a good reason, not for a purely selfish one. So riches, you see, are not evil. After all, the spread of the gospel was often undergirded by wealthy people. Remember the stories of Lydia and Mary Magdalene, who was likely wealthy because she hailed from a wealthy region. And then Joanna and others in the gospel and how they shared their means for the sake of the gospel. But in our text today, Jesus is clear about one thing. Wealth is spiritually hazardous. One of the reasons for that is that a great chasm lies between those with wealth and those without it. Did you know that today some of the uber-rich have built homes so isolated that they're only reachable by helicopter? Myers writes, great wealth can create a world so isolated so protected, so luxurious, that the rest of humanity is easily forgotten. Yet, we can use our wealth wisely. 
Those of us who have wealth are expected to do great things for the sake of the kingdom of God. Myers tells us that in Judaism, one is to use wealth for the sake of heaven. For Christians, the word we use here is stewardship. We are to steward our wealth wisely. And yes, we steward it wisely for the sake of heaven, for the sake of God's kingdom on earth. So I started off this sermon today with a negative example of greed using the Tolstoy story, how much land does a man need? It seems to have the answer, and it's just six and a half feet, or just enough to bury a man in his grave. Let me end, though, with a positive example of stewarding wealth wisely. I think about the story of Oprah Winfrey. Born to, an unmarried teen, to unmarried teenage parents, her mom a maid and her dad a coal miner, she grew up in rural Mississippi. Her mother was so poor that her grandmother made dresses for Oprah out of potato sacks. Now, all these years later, we know that she has a net worth of $2.5 billion and an unmatched reputation for generosity. She is a charter member of the New Philanthropists. She rewarded her entire staff and their families, over 1,000 people, with paid Hawaiian vacations. And speaking of Hawaii, she also gave generously in the aftermath of these um, Maui fires. She's funded the college costs for 250 African-American men. She covers the administrative costs of Oprah's Angel Network so that 100% of the hundreds of millions in donations go toward justice issues and the education for the world's poorest. Some examples of her projects include the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls in South Africa and Rebuilding the Gulf Coast. She supports and donates to dozens um, of, of other causes, including ovarian cancer awareness and research, organizations that treat HIV and AIDS, ones that fight, that fight climate change, and Project Cuddle, which rescues hundreds of babies from abandonment and abuse every year. And there are only a few of her many beneficiaries, uh, beneficiaries and charities. In short, Oprah remembers what it was like to be poor. She did not let that great chasm come between her great wealth and the have-nots in this world, though she easily could have. You see, the rich walling themselves off is ever the temptation. Oprah's fortunes didn't make her greedy or cause her to go after more and more for herself. Instead, she stewards her wealth wisely to benefit causes worldwide for the sake of heaven. So the challenge for us today is objectively and honestly to ask ourselves this question to keep our temptation to greediness in check. What is the reason for our wanting something? 
And then, can we, with great self-awareness, answer that question honestly, knowing that we are ever in the presence of God, the one who calls us to love of neighbor through acts of justice, charity, and mercy? Let us be up to the challenge. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.